0: Welcome to a Kindred Reader. I'm your host, Rachel, and I love books. Last time, we experienced the incidents of the haunted wood and the liniment cake. However, Anne is optimistic in her learning from her mistakes. Let's see where life will take Anne now. So, from one kindred spirit to another, let's read together. Chapter 22. Anne is invited out to tea. And what are your eyes popping out of your head about now? asked Marilla, when Anne had just come in from a run to the post office. Have you discovered another kindred spirit? Excitement hung around Anne like a garment, shone in her eyes, kindled in every feature. She had come dancing up the lane, like a wind-blown sprite, through the mellow sunshine and lazy shadows of the August evening. No, Marilla, but, oh, what do you think? I am invited to tea at the Mance tomorrow afternoon. Mrs. Allen left the letter for me at the post office. Just look at it, Marilla. Miss Anne Shirley, Green Gables. That is the first time I was ever called Miss. Such a thrill as it gave me. I shall cherish it forever among my choicest treasures. Mrs. Allen told me she meant to have all the members of her Sunday school class to tea in turn said Marilla, regarding the wonderful event very coolly. You needn't get in such a fever over it. Do learn to take things calmly, child. For Anne to take things calmly would have been to change her nature. All spirit and fire and dew, as she was, the pleasures and pains of life came to her with troubled intensity. Marilla felt this and was vaguely troubled over it. "'realizing that the ups and downs of existence "'would probably bear hardly on this impulsive soul "'and not sufficiently understanding "'that the equally great capacity for delight "'might more than compensate.' "'Therefore, Marilla conceived it to be her duty "'to drill Anne into a tranquil uniformity of disposition "'as impossible and alien to her "'as to a dancing sunbeam in one of the brook shallows. "'She did not make much headway, "'as she sorrowfully admitted to herself.' The downfall of some dear hope or plan plunged Anne into deeps of affliction. The fulfillment thereof exalted her to dizzy realms of delight. Marilla had almost begun to despair of ever fashioning this waif of the world into her model little girl of demure manners and prim deportment. Neither would she have believed that she really liked Anne much better as she was. Anne went to bed that night, speechless with misery, because Matthew had said the wind was round northeast and he feared it would be a rainy day tomorrow. The rustle of the poplar leaves about the house worried her. It sounded so like pattering raindrops, and the dull, far-away roar of the gulf, to which she listened delightedly at other times, loving its strange, sonorous, haunting rhythm, now seemed like a prophecy of storm and disaster to a small maiden who particularly wanted a fine day. Anne thought that the morning would never come. But all things have an end, even nights before the day on which you are invited to take tea at the manse. The morning, in spite of Matthew's predictions, was fine, and Anne's spirits soared to their highest. Oh, Marilla, there is something in me today that makes me just love. "'Everybody I see!' she exclaimed as she washed the breakfast dishes. "'You don't know how good I feel! Wouldn't it be nice if it could last? I believe I could be a model child if I were just invited out to tea every day. But oh, Marilla, it's a solemn occasion, too. I feel so anxious. What if I shouldn't behave properly? You know I never had tea at a man's before, and I'm not sure that I know all the rules of etiquette.' although I've been studying the rules given in the etiquette department of the Family Herald ever since I came here. I'm so afraid I'll do something silly or forget to do something I should do. Would it be very good manners to take a second helping of anything if you wanted it very much? The trouble with you, Anne, is that you're thinking too much about yourself. You should just think of Mrs. Allen and what would be nicest and most agreeable for her," said Marilla, Hitting for once in her life on a very sound and pithy piece of advice, Anne instantly realized this. "'You're right, Marilla. I'll try not to think about myself at all.' Anne evidently got through her visit without any serious breach of etiquette, for she came home through the twilight, under a great high-sprung sky, gloried over with trails of saffron and rosy cloud, in a beatified state of mind, and told Marilla all about it happily.' sitting on the big red sandstone slab at the kitchen door with her tired curly head and marilla's gingham lap a cool wind was blowing down over the long harvest fields from the rims of furry western hills and whistling through the poplars one clear star hung above the orchard and the fireflies were flitting over in lover's lane in and out among the ferns and rustling boughs Anne watched them as she talked and somehow felt that wind and stars and fireflies were all tangled up together into something unutterably sweet and enchanting. Oh, Marilla, I've had a most fascinating time. I feel that I have not lived in vain, and I shall always feel like that, even if I should never be invited to tea at a manse again. When I got there, Mrs. Allen met me at the door, She was dressed in the sweetest dress of pale pink organdy, with dozens of frills and elbow sleeves, and she looked just like a seraph. I really think I'd like to be a minister's wife when I grow up, Marilla. A minister mightn't mind my red hair, because he wouldn't be thinking of such worldly things. But then, of course, one would have to be naturally good, and I'll never be that. So I suppose there's no use in thinking about it. Some people are naturally good, you know, and others are not. I'm one of the others. Mrs. Lynn says I'm full of original sin. No matter how hard I try to be good, I can never make such a success of it as those who are naturally good. It's a good deal like geometry, I expect, but don't you think that trying so hard ought to count for something? Mrs. Allen is one of the naturally good people. I love her passionately. You know there are some people, like Matthew and Mrs. Allen, that you can love right off without any trouble, and there are others, like Mrs. Lynde, that you have to try very hard to love. You know you ought to love them because they know so much and are such active workers in the church, but you have to keep reminding yourself of it all the time, or else you forget. There was another little girl at the manse to tea from the White Sands Sunday School. Her name was Loretta Bradley, and she was a very nice little girl not exactly a kindred spirit, you know, but still very nice. We had an elegant tea, and I think I had kept all the rules of etiquette pretty well. After tea, Mrs. Allen played and sang, and she got Loretta and me to sing too. Mrs. Allen says I have a good voice, and she says I must sing in the Sunday school choir after this. You can't think how I was thrilled at the mere thought. I've longed so to sing in the Sunday school choir, as Diana does, but I feared it was an honor I could never aspire to. Loretta had to go home early because there is a big concert in the White Sands Hotel tonight and her sister is to recite at it. Loretta says that the Americans at the hotel give a concert every fortnight in aid of the Charlatan Hospital and they ask lots of the White Sands people to recite. Loretta said she expected to be asked herself some day. I just gazed at her in awe. After she had gone, Mrs. Allen and I had a heart-to-heart talk. I told her everything about Mrs. Thomas and the twins, and Katie Maurice and Violetta, and coming to Green Gables, and my troubles over geometry. And would you believe it, Marilla? Mrs. Allen told me she was a dunce at geometry, too. You don't know how that encouraged me. Mrs. Lynn came to the manse just before I left, and what do you think, Marilla? The trustees have hired a new teacher, and it's a lady. Her name is Miss Muriel Stacy. Isn't that a romantic name? Mrs. Lynn says they've never had a female teacher in Avonlea before, and she thinks it is a dangerous innovation. But I think it will be splendid to have a lady teacher, and I really don't see how I'm going to live through the two weeks before school begins. I'm so impatient to see her. Chapter 23 Anne Comes to Grief in an Affair of Honor Anne had to live through more than two weeks as it happened. Almost a month having elapsed since the liniment cake episode, it was high time for her to get into fresh trouble of some sort. Little mistakes, such as absentmindedly emptying a pan of skim milk into a basket of yarn balls in the pantry instead of into the pig's bucket, and walking clean over the edge of the log bridge into the brook while wrapped in imaginative reverie not really being worth counting. A week after the tea at the manse, Diana Barry gave a party small and select, Anne assured Marilla, just the girls in our class. They had a very good time, and nothing untoward happened until after tea, when they found themselves in the berry garden, a little tired of all their games, and ripe for any enticing form of mischief which might present itself. This presently took the form of daring. Daring was the fashionable amusement among the Avonlea small fry just then. It had begun among the boys, but soon spread to the girls, and all the silly things that were done in Avonlea that summer, because the doers thereof were dared to do them, would fill a book by themselves. First of all, Carrie Sloane dared Ruby Gillis to climb to a certain point in the huge old willow tree before the front door, which Ruby Gillis, albeit in mortal dread of the fat green caterpillars with which said tree was infested, and with the fear of her mother before her eyes if she should tear her new muslin dress, nimbly did, to the discomfiture of the aforesaid Carrie Sloane. Then Josie Pye dared Jane Andrews to hop on her left leg around the garden without stopping once or putting her right foot to the ground, which Jane Andrews gamely tried to do, but gave out at the third corner and had to confess herself defeated. Josie's triumph being rather more pronounced than good taste permitted— Anne Shirley dared her to walk along the top of the board fence which bounded the garden to the east. Now, to walk board fences requires more skill and steadiness of head and heel than one might suppose who has never tried it. But Josie Pye, if deficient in some qualities that make for popularity, had at least a natural and inborn gift duly cultivated for walking board fences." Josie walked the berry fence with an airy unconcern, which seemed to imply that a little thing like that wasn't worth a dare. Reluctant admiration greeted her exploit, for most of the other girls could appreciate it, having suffered many things themselves in the efforts to walk fences. Josie descended from her perch, flushed with victory, and darted a defiant glance at Anne. Anne tossed her red braids, I don't think it's such a very wonderful thing to walk a little, low, board fence, she said. I knew a girl in Marysville who could walk the ridgepole of a roof. I don't believe it, said Josie flatly. I don't believe anybody could walk a ridgepole. You couldn't, anyhow. Couldn't I? cried Anne rashly. Then I dare you to do it, said Josie defiantly. I dare you to climb up there and walk the ridgepole of Mr. Berry's kitchen roof. Anne turned pale, but there was clearly only one thing to be done. She walked towards the house, where a ladder was leaning against the kitchen roof. All the fifth-class girls said, "'Oh!' Partly in excitement, partly in dismay. "'Don't you do it, Anne,' entreated Diana. "'You'll fall off and be killed. Never mind Josie Pye. It isn't fair to dare anybody to do anything so dangerous.' I must do it. My honor is at stake, said Anne solemnly. I shall walk that ridgepole, Diana, or perish in the attempt. If I am killed, you are to have my pearl bead ring. Anne climbed the ladder amid breathless silence, gained the ridgepole, balanced herself uprightly on that precarious footing, and started to walk along it dizzily conscious that she was uncomfortably high up in the world and that walking ridge poles was not a thing in which your imagination helped you out much. Nevertheless, she managed to take several steps before the catastrophe came. Then she swayed, lost her balance, stumbled, staggered, and fell, sliding down over the sun-baked roof and crashing off it through the tangle of Virginia Creeper beneath all before the dismayed circle below could give a simultaneous, terrified shriek. If Anne had tumbled off the roof on the side up which she ascended, Diana would probably have fallen heir to the pearl-bead ring then and there. Fortunately, she fell on the other side, where the roof extended down over the porch so nearly to the ground that a fall therefrom was a much less serious thing. Nevertheless, when Diana and the other girls had rushed frantically around the house, except Ruby Gillis, who remained as if rooted to the ground, and went into hysterics, they found Anne lying all white and limp among the wreck and ruin of the Virginia Creeper. "'Anne, are you killed?' shrieked Diana, throwing herself on her knees beside her friend. "'Oh, Anne, dear Anne, speak just one word to me and tell me if you're killed.' To the immense relief of all the girls, and especially of Josie Pye, who, in spite of lack of imagination, had been seized with horrible visions of a future branded as the girl who was the cause of Anne Shirley's early and tragic death, Anne sat dizzily up and answered uncertainly, "'No, Diana, I am not killed, but I think I am rendered unconscious.' "'Where?' sobbed Carrie Sloane. "'Oh, where, Anne?' Before Anne could answer, Mrs. Barry appeared on the scene. At sight of her, Anne tried to scramble to her feet, but sank back again with a sharp little cry of pain. "'What's the matter? Where have you hurt yourself?' demanded Mrs. Barry. "'My ankle!' gasped Anne. "'Oh, Diana, please find your father and ask him to take me home. I know I can never walk there.' "'and I'm sure I couldn't hop so far on one foot "'when Jane couldn't even hop around the garden.' "'Marilla was out in the orchard "'picking a panful of summer apples "'when she saw Mr. Barry coming over the log bridge "'and up the slope, "'with Mrs. Barry beside him "'and a whole procession of little girls trailing after him. "'In his arms he carried Anne, "'whose head lay limply against his shoulder. "'At that moment Marilla had a revelation.' In the sudden stab of fear that pierced to her very heart, she realized what Anne had come to mean to her. She would have admitted that she liked Anne—nay, that she was very fond of Anne—but now she knew as she hurried wildly down the slope that Anne was dearer to her than anything on earth. "'Mr. Barry, what has happened to her?' she gasped. "'more white and shaken than the self-contained, sensible Marilla had been for many years. "'Anne herself answered, lifting her head. "'Don't be frightened, Marilla. "'I was walking the ridge pole and I fell off. "'I expect I have sprained my ankle. "'But, Marilla, I might have broken my neck. "'Let us look on the bright side of things.' "'I might have known you go and do something of the sort when I'd let you go to that party,' said Marilla. "'sharp and shrewish in her very relief. "'Bring her in here, Mr. Berry, and lay her on the sofa. "'Mercy me, the child is gone and fainted.' "'It was quite true. "'Overcome by the pain of her injury, "'Anne had one more of her wishes granted to her. "'She had fainted dead away. "'Matthew, hastily summoned from the harvest field, "'was straightway dispatched for the doctor, "'who in due time came.' to discover that the injury was more serious than they had supposed. Anne's ankle was broken. That night, when Marilla went up to the East Gable, where a white-faced girl was lying, a plaintive voice greeted her from the bed. "'Aren't you very sorry for me, Marilla?' "'It was your own fault,' said Marilla, twitching down the blind and lighting a lamp. "'And that is just why you should be sorry for me.' said Anne, because the thought that it is all my own fault is what makes it so hard. If I could blame it on anybody, I would feel so much better. But what would you have done, Marilla, if you had been dared to walk a ridge pole? I'd have stayed on good firm ground and let them dare away. Such absurdity, said Marilla. Anne sighed. But you have such strength of mind, Marilla. I haven't. I just felt that I couldn't bear Pye's scorn. She would have crowed over me all my life, and I think I have been punished so much that you needn't be very cross with me, Marilla. It's not a bit nice to faint, after all, and the doctor hurt me dreadfully when he was setting my ankle. I won't be able to go around for six or seven weeks, and I'll miss the new lady teacher. She won't be new any more by the time I'm able to go to school. And, Gil, everybody will get ahead of me in class.' "'Oh, I am an afflicted mortal. But I'll try to bear it all bravely if only you won't be cross with me, Marilla.' "'There, there, I'm not cross,' said Marilla. "'You're an unlucky child, there's no doubt about that. But as you say, you'll have the suffering of it. Here now, try and eat some supper.' "'Isn't it fortunate I've got such an imagination?' said Anne. "'It will help me through splendidly, I expect.' What do people who haven't any imagination do when they break their bones, do you suppose, Marilla? Anne had good reason to bless her imagination many a time and oft during the tedious seven weeks that followed, but she was not solely dependent on it. She had many visitors, and not a day passed without one or more of the schoolgirls dropping in to bring her flowers and books and tell her all the happenings in the juvenile world of Avonlea. "'Everybody has been so good and kind, Marilla,' sighed Anne happily on the day when she could first limp across the floor. "'It isn't very pleasant to be laid up, but there is a bright side to it, Marilla. You'll find out how many friends you have. Why, even Superintendent Bell came to see me, and he's really a very fine man. Not a kindred spirit, of course, but still I like him, and I'm awfully sorry I ever criticized his prayers.' I believe now he really does mean them, only he has got into the habit of saying them as if he didn't. He could get over that if he'd take a little trouble. I gave him a good, broad hint. I told him how hard I tried to make my own little private pairs interesting. He told me all about the time he broke his ankle when he was a boy. It does seem so strange to think of Superintendent Bell ever being a boy. Even my imagination has its limits, for I can't imagine that— When I try to imagine him as a boy, I see him with gray whiskers and spectacles, just as he looks in Sunday school, only small. Now, it's so easy to imagine Mrs. Allen as a little girl. Mrs. Allen has been to see me 14 times. Isn't that something to be proud of, Marilla? When a minister's wife has so many claims on her time, she is such a cheerful person to have visit you too. She never tells you it's your own fault, and she hopes you'll be a better girl on account of it. Mrs. Lynde always told me that when she came to see me, and she said it in a kind of way that made me feel she might hope I'd be a better girl, but didn't really believe I would. Even Josie Pye came to see me. I received her as politely as I could, because I think she was sorry she dared me to walk a ridgepole. If I had been killed, she would have had to carry a dark burden of remorse all her life. Diana has been a faithful friend. She's been over every day to cheer my lonely pillow. But, oh, I shall be so glad when I can go to school, for I've heard such exciting things about the new teacher. The girls all think she is perfectly sweet. Diana says she has the loveliest fair curly hair and such fascinating eyes. She dresses beautifully, and her sleeve puffs are bigger than anybody else's in Avonlea. Every other Friday afternoon she has recitations, and everybody has to say a piece or take part in a dialogue. Oh, it's just glorious to think of it. Josie Pye says she hates it, but that is just because Josie has so little imagination. Diana and Ruby Gillis and Jane Andrews are preparing a dialogue called A Morning Visit for next Friday. And the Friday afternoons, they don't have recitations. Miss Stacy takes them to the woods for a field day, and they study ferns and flowers and birds, and they have physical culture exercises every morning and evening. Mrs. Lynde says she never heard of such goings-on, "'and it all comes of having a lady teacher. "'But I think it must be splendid, "'and I believe I shall find that Miss Stacy is a kindred spirit.' "'There's one thing plain to be seen, Anne,' said Marilla, "'and that is that your fall off the berry roof "'hasn't injured your tongue at all.' "'It's funny to think that daring people "'has been around for as long as it has. "'It can be fun sometimes,' But things always do tend to get out of hand with children, don't they? It's also crazy to think that Anne was laid up in bed for so long with her broken ankle. Nowadays, such an injury cannot stop a little girl from continuing life as usual. Before we go for today, I'd like to give credit to Jess Lauer for our artwork and Austin Wilhite for our music. You can find us on Instagram at a kindred reader. If you liked today's episode, please rate and review on iTunes, and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. And maybe share this with a friend. All of our other information can be found in the episode notes. Until next time, this is A Kindred Reader.